Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. All right, how many of you are ready for the Word of God this morning? Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. We are plugging through uh, the book of Romans. Man, you can't go wrong with the Word of God. When you jump into the Word of God, when you begin to dissect it chapter by chapter just to find out what it means to us, suddenly it becomes more alive than ever before. And that's what we're discovering as we're jumping through this series called Breakthrough, Live by Faith, Advance with grace. We're taking 18 weeks just to process through this book. And right now, we found ourselves in chapter 10, part 11 of this series. And we're just taking some time to look at that. We've discovered already that that by ourselves, we're on a downward spiral. That in our own efforts, in our own attempts, things don't work very well. We've all tried that, yes? We, we've all attempted it by ourselves, and unless you've figured out some special formula that I haven't figured out by ourselves, it doesn't work. It's one struggle, one frustration, one irritant after another, but if we would simply turn to God, and this is what we discover. In chapter 7, uh, Paul shows us his humanity. He says, what a wretched person I am who can help me out of this pit of despair. And then he comes to the realization that the answer is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you know that? Jesus is the answer that we need. No matter what the struggle is you're facing, the answer is Jesus every single time. And that's what we discover in in chapter 8. There's no condemnation to those that now believe, to those that have given their lives to Jesus, to those that have surrendered to him. Suddenly that guilt and that shame and that condemnation doesn't have to weigh upon us anymore. Why? Because it's not our battle that we're fighting. Jesus has taken that battle from us. The victory is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we take the time to celebrate that with Christ. And then we hit chapter 9. I don't know if you're reading along with us, but man, I'm trucking along. I'm reading through the first portion of Romans. I'm excited. I get to seven and I'm like, okay, I can relate a little bit. I get to eight and I'm rejoicing. I'm like, come on, that's it. We're celebrating. And then we hit nine. It's like we jump right off the pavement into the sand. Did anybody else feel that way? And I'm like, Paul, what are you doing, dude? Right in the middle of all of this excitement, you, you nail us with. But we discovered last week that, that really what Paul was getting at was there's a sovereignty in God that sometimes we overlook or we simply forget. You see, there was a purpose of why Paul was writing what he wrote in that moment. Now today, we're going to kind of move forward. Last week, it was from the shout of victory to suddenly to the lament for the people of Israel, and he's sorrowful for them. He's saying, man, I would willfully spend eternity in hell, separation from God, if my people, if my family would just come to know Jesus. Now today, we're going to look at chapter 10, and we're going to begin to discover what is our responsibility in reference to what Jesus has done. Did you know that you have a responsibility as a Christian? 
You see, it's nothing that you have done that have brought you to this place of salvation. It's all of what Jesus has done by his dying on the cross. That's what paved the way for your salvation. Now will you willfully give yourself to him? That's the starting line. That's like getting at the very edge of the race and that, and that gun goes off and everybody takes off running and you're sprinting toward the finish line. But we have some things that we've got to do according to Scripture with the faith that we now have in Jesus Christ. Uh, we would love to think that, man, all I have to do is have a one-time moment with Jesus, and then I can just come in and, and sit in a seat every week, and, and life's going to be great. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Some of you are like, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but we're going to find out today that that's not what we're called to do. Now, don't get me wrong here. We're not saved by grace or by, saved by our works. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by what we can do on our own, and we're going to discuss that in a moment. We're saved because of what Jesus Christ has done, but through all of this, there's something that we're supposed to do. That's what we're going to discover today. We're going to take some time, and we're going to look at why did the Jewish people reject Jesus, and then what are we to do in response to Jesus? Look at our text. Verses 1 through 4, we just heard it on the screen. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. We'll talk about that in a moment. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Now, my goal every single week it's not just to get up here and share a couple of scriptures or to tell a Bible story. My goal every week is to give you an opportunity to connect God's Word to perhaps those fragmented pieces in your life, perhaps to the, the struggle that you're facing during the week. The goal of every single Sunday morning message is for every single one of us, regardless where we are in our walk with Christ. You see, there's some of you in the house that you've been saved a long time. I've been saved, let's see, about 43 years now. Amen. That's a long time. Some of you are like, I'm not even close to that. Luke, you're not even close to 43. I've been saved almost twice your age. Wow. There's some of you in the room, but man, maybe right now you haven't even made that decision to follow after Jesus. Maybe you're just trying to figure out what this church thing is and what this, who Jesus really is. So somewhere in between all of this, we're all going to find ourselves. So the goal is to make the Bible applicable to every stage along the way, that every one of us somehow, some way, walk away applying the very Word of God to our lives, allowing it to be a guidebook to our everyday activities. Did you know that the Bible is still applicable? It's more than just a, a great storybook. Oh, by the way, if you want to read some great stories, man, go to the Old Testament. Read some of those. Woo! That'll get you every time. It's a book of wisdom. 
It's a book of guidance. It's a book of truth, a book of hope, a book of future. You see, it's our guidebook for life. If we allow it to, it will pave the way in front of us and, and light the path in our way. So what do I do? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at the shortcomings of Israel, and then what do we do in response? I would hope and I would trust that you're going to take really good notes this morning. We've got the paper outlines in the back for those of you that are old school, um, and then we also have the digital copies for those of you a little bit more techie. Uh, make sure you grab the notes, fill those out, reference them on a regular basis, and really let God's Word become alive in your life. Four reasons why Israel rejected Jesus. Now, this might be a little bit more um, teaching style for a moment, but every time I say that, I don't stay there. So bear with me just for a moment as we kind of share a little bit with why Israel rejected Jesus. Number one was this. They saw the law as their connect to God. They saw the law as their connect to God. To God. The problem that the nation of Israel was facing is they were basing their relationship with God on their performance of the law, and therefore they didn't recognize that Jesus is what they needed to really have this, this formulated life, that, that Jesus brought about a, a new covenant and a covenant of mercy and of grace. They didn't see the need for salvation. Yet the Bible itself tells us that every one of us messes up. That every one of us falls short. That somewhere along the line, we're going to make a mistake. Perhaps that was you moments before you stepped foot into church this morning. Perhaps that was you in the midst of worship this morning. I don't know. But I know somewhere along the line we stumble. And when we have this, these shortcomings in our lives, which we call sin, and A.W. Tozer defines sin as anything that cools your relationship with God. And we've got these cooling moments of our relationship with God, and suddenly that kind of takes over. And truth be told, no matter whether it's a little bit of sin or a lot of sin, it's still a shortcoming, and any shortcoming is going to separate us from the Father. Why? Because God is holy, and we are called to be as He is. Therefore, we need salvation. Because we can't do it by ourselves. We can't earn our way by ourselves. We're just not good enough. Oh, there's some great people in this house today. But not a single one of us is good enough. Not a single one of us can achieve the greatness of God. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And the issue is, the wages of sin is death, it's separation from God. So, so we need Jesus in our lives. And then we see Peter in Acts chapter 4. Now remember, Peter is the one that when Jesus was arrested in the garden and they were taking him for trial and getting ready to do the crucifixion, uh, Peter kind of followed behind him uh, alongside, kind of watching what was happening. And here, Peter is in the courtyard, and there's a crew of people around, and they keep saying, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And three times, in fact, one time was to a teenage girl. 
couldn't even stand up for Jesus to a teenage girl. Come on now. Right? But yet, in Acts chapter 4, something has shifted in Peter's life. Suddenly, Acts chapter 2, you read in, in 1 and 2, you see the Holy Spirit fills the, the whole area where they were. In Acts chapter 1, the Bible says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power, the dunamis power, dynamite power, explosive power. And why do we have that? So that we can be witnesses. The very thing that, that Peter was failing to be able to accomplish... You see, witnessing is not just standing on the street corner with your Bible shouting, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is nigh. Sometimes witnessing is saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Let me tell you about him. So the very thing that Peter could not do in that moment, suddenly in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit fell on the place where they were, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit now this new power, this ability to be a greater witness, to have a boldness for God steps in. In Acts chapter 4, he's addressing the council, and he says this. Now remember, this is the guy that before couldn't talk to a teenage girl. Not downing teenage girls. You guys are awesome. Keep doing that. But here he is in front of the council. He says, there's salvation in no one else. And I love the Bible. I mean, it shows me like the, the tone of his voice. It's not just like a, there's a period at the end. Hey, yeah, you know what? There's salvation in no one else. No, 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 no. There's an exclamation point. I mean, he is determined. Guys, listen carefully. Wake up your neighbor. You need to hear this. There's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we say it with me must be saved. Salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he declared, it is finished. This phrase, it is finished, in the Greek is simply one word. It's a legal term that simply means paid in full. Jesus said, what I've accomplished on the cross today, what I've done in this moment today is to pay in full for your sins, to buy you at a price, to pay the, the price for what you've done to give you hope, to give you life. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I would challenge you today, if you haven't given your heart and your life to Christ, don't leave here today without surrendering to him. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is your moment. God is not slow, as some people believe in slowness, but God is patient for you, desiring that none of you would be lost without him, but every one of you would come to the point, and every one of you would come to the place, and every one of you would come to that moment of a complete surrender to him. Why? Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That while you were still messing up, Jesus willfully gave everything. That's love. Because I don't know about you, but when people are continuously messing up, sometimes like I don't even know if I like them. <laughs> right? I'm like, what are you doing? We've talked about this 95,000 times. What are you doing? But the Bible says that while we were still messing up, 
while we were still sinners, while we were still making foolish choices, while we were continuously running back to that same thing that made us sick the time before. Suddenly we go back, but Jesus says, you know what? I love you anyway. I'm paying the price for you anyway. It is finished. The Jewish people, they saw the law as their connect to God, and they failed to understand that Jesus is the way. The second reason why the Israel, Israelites rejected Jesus, they became zealous for religion. Come on, look at this. Romans chapter 10, it says this, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. I want to thank God for a moment publicly because... There was a season, a time when, when we, the church, the capital C, American church, we had misdirected zeal. You guys remember those times? Some of you are like, you know what, this is my first time in church, I got nothing. But man, some of you were around in the 80s. I remember the first church that I became a member of, there was a membership card, and there was a list of things you don't do. You don't go bowling, you don't go to the movies. You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't even go with girls that do. Right? And I'm like, man, here's what I wanted to say. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to serve him? Do you want to follow him? Welcome to the family. That's it right there, folks. That's it. And the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they had this misdirected zeal. They thought it was about following the list of to-dos and to-knows. They were zealous for the things of God, but the problem was they directed that in the wrong way. They moved it to religion. And, and here's the deal. Religion is really a centerpiece of their lives. Now, this sounds really confusing. Some of you are like, well, pastor, shouldn't religion be? No, religion should not be, but the relationship with Jesus should be. And when you had the relationship with Jesus, suddenly all of this you want to do, you don't have to do, but you want to do. You don't have to be in a life group, but you want to be in a life group. You don't have to come to Chili Cook-Off on a Sunday night, but you want to come to Chili Cook-Off on a Sunday night just because you want to see the other church folk. You don't have to come to church on a regular basis, but you get to come to church on a regular basis because you get to know more about Jesus. There's a hunger and a passion and, and a desire and a longing for more of him. And the Jewish people, the Israelites, they had misdirected that. They thought that it was all about the law. In fact, as I told you last week, they decided to help God out. They added to his 10 laws about 603 more. Things that they thought, well, if I'm really going to be a good religious person, then this is what I've got to do. They had their routine. They had their tradition. They knew what they wanted to do. The problem was it was misdirected zeal. I want you to understand this. Grab a hold of this. Listen carefully. A religion can't save you no matter how zealous you are. A religion can't save you. Routine can't save you. Following the rules can't save you. 
no matter how many times you volunteer and change a diaper, can't save you. But only a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul says they were zealous, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. That describes a lot of false religions in today's culture. A lot of cults, if you would. They think, I've got to do this and do this and do this and do this. Or, or maybe, maybe you've heard this said before, or perhaps you've even said it. Well, it really doesn't matter what somebody believes as long as they're sincere. Have you heard that before? Man, we live in such an age and time where we want to accept everything and we want to be inclusive of everything. And Well, it doesn't matter whatever you believe, whatever you want to believe. It's okay, just be really sincere with it. Let me give you the correct term for that. Hooey. Yeah, that's, that's the correct term. Sincerity is not enough. We can be zealous without knowledge and be sincerely wrong. I could start a campaign, a campaign, and I could start convincing everybody that, that two plus two equals five. And I could be pretty convincing to people. Perhaps I would start at the elementary age when they really don't have any preconceived notions. And I begin to instill that. Oh, that sounds like, never mind. We'll, we'll go on. Whew. We'll start at an early age and we'll begin to convince them there at that moment that that's what is truth. And suddenly they begin to understand that and believe that and they're, they're zealous about that and they'll defend that and they grow up and they share that with somebody else. But can I just tell you, they'd still be wrong. They became zealous for all the wrong things. Reason number three, they were proud and self-righteous. They were proud and self-righteous. Romans chapter 10, verse 3, the latter portion says, refusing, look at your neighbor, say refusing, refusing to accept God's way. Boy, that's dangerous ground to be on, right? Let me just encourage you, don't do that. That's not a smart move. Have any of you ever tried to refuse God's way? How'd that work out for you? Not good, right? Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. I want to break this apart just a little bit. I've already discussed it, but let me break this apart. There's two ways that people try to save themselves. Number one is this, salvation by subtraction. Salvation by subtraction. What do I mean by that? They say, well, if I can just give up all of these bad habits, if I can just stop doing this, if I can just stop doing that, then I'm going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. If I can just subtract a few of that junk items from my life, then everything will be awesome. Can I just tell you, salvation is not, not founded upon what I subtract. Number two, it's salvation by service. If I work just a little bit harder, if I volunteer just a little bit more, if I just give more money, if I join this organization or that organization, then that will get me into heaven. 
It's all about my works, but can I just tell you, Paul's already dealt with these two, the subtraction and the service. He's already dealt with this in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. He's processed through this. You cannot be saved simply by being good. You can't be saved just by being good. Man, I hear people all the time when I'm talking to individuals in, in public and I'm sharing um, Jesus with them. And I'm like, man, what's your future look like? You know, do you have a re relationship with Jesus? Are you going to go to heaven? Yada, yada, yada. And they'll say, well, I'm a good person. It's the most dangerous place to be. Because suddenly in that moment, what happens is we begin to rely upon ourselves, And that's what the Israelites were doing. They were rejecting God's way. They were rejecting, in essence, Jesus and settling in on the fact, well, we're good people. We've always been good people. We're the Jewish people. We're good. If the truth was that being good saved you, you'd have to be as good as God. You'd have to be perfect. And none of us are there. It's not by what I do to improve my stance with God. It's not by subtracting things from my life or adding more service opportunities. By the way, those things are good. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we should want to do those things. We should want to get rid of the junk because the Bible says a fool returned to his folly. In other words, the things that were returned to, the very things that made us sick before, just as a dog returns to his vomit, that's what the fool's returning to. We should want to eliminate that stuff. We should want to serve. But that's not going to save you. Here's the key to salvation. The key to salvation is salvation by grace. Now that should have made some of you hoop and holler. Because some of you right now, you're sitting in your seats, and you're, if you're being honest, you're like doing an evaluation. I keep using this word good, and you're like, that's not me, because I'm not. Because you know what Friday night looked like. You know what happens behind the scenes. You know the real you when the curtain is pulled and no one's around. I'm telling you the good news for you is salvation is not based on, on you. It's based on grace. It's based on what Jesus has done for us, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. See, they were proud. They were self-righteous. And here's our fourth reason. They failed to clearly utilize the law. Now notice here, we didn't just reject, but they didn't clearly utilize the law. Look at verse 18. But I ask, Paul is saying this, but I ask, 
had the people of Israel actually heard the message? Do, do they actually know about Jesus? Have they heard about the Messiah? Yes, they have. Verse 19, but I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Because there's a difference. There's a difference between hearing something and truly understanding something. I had Andy Mollick looking at our HVAC system in Warrensburg this week, and he began to rattle off a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, I've got nothing. I'm like, I don't even know, I don't even know what you're saying right now, but just, just let me know what needs to be done, and we'll make it happen. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference between hearing, oh, I heard the message, I even got it in text form. Thank you for that. But reading that text form, I'm like praying for the interpretation, and nothing's coming. I don't even know. But that wasn't the case with the Israelites. They heard the message, they, they understood the message, but they failed to truly utilize the law. It wasn't the fact they didn't hear, it wasn't the fact they didn't understand. They failed to connect the peace of salvation. In other words, they were trying to put a, a round peg in a square hole. They're trying to make something fit where it really didn't fit. They failed to connect Jesus, which again, is always the answer. Romans chapter 10 says this, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. This word accomplished, it literally means the limit at which a thing ceases to be. He's already accomplished it, so it ceases to be. It's completed. It's been closed. The deal is done. There's been complete fulfillment in this moment. The law was fulfilled by Christ. So what do we do in response? This is what I want to get at today. You see, it's one thing for us to hear what the Israelites did in rejecting Jesus, but the question is, what do we need to do today? Over 2,000 years later, what is our role? What are we called to do with this message of Jesus Christ? I love how Isaiah gives it to us. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, he says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The good news that God of Israel reigns. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings the good news. Who's that supposed to be? That's us. We are called to be that messenger. The Bible says, go and tell everyone, share the good news of Jesus Christ with one and all. Everywhere you go, I alluded to it a moment ago, Acts 1a, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea to the uttermost parts of the world. That means here in our community, to the outskirts of the area and around the world. We are called to share that good news. But pastor, I'm an introvert. God knows that. I don't really talk to people. God knows that. But he still called you to go. You see, your way as an introvert, and by the way, I'm not an introvert. Um, I know some of you are really surprised with that right now. You're like, what? 
Now, uh, some of you, your approach to people is going to be different. It's regular for me to be sitting at a restaurant at the, the table and the server comes up, and man, somewhere along the conversation, we're talking about Jesus. It's going to happen. Now, my wife, she's kind of the introvert, and she's like, But you know, there, there's, there's a way people that are listening to the podcast right now have no idea what just happened there. It's so much fun. There's, there's a way that God has crafted each one of us, and there's a, a purpose that he wants to use through you to reach the world. See, we are all called to be the one that shares that good news. Well, pastor, I don't even have beautiful feet. You do with Jesus. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those that bring the good news. Declaring it to the world. But to really grab a hold of the heart of what Isaiah is talking about, we've got to move to the beginning of the chapter. See, that was verse 7. We've got to go back to verses 1 and 2 to really grasp a hold of the prep work that needs to be done in order to get to the place of beauty. Some of you understand beauty takes time, right? It takes efforts. So look at this, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, he says, wake up. And I love how he says it twice. Wake up. Look at your neighbor this morning. Say, wake up. Wake up. Oh, Zion, clothe yourselves, please. I hope you don't have to look at your neighbor this morning and say, clothe yourself. <laughs> Maybe to those of you that are watching online right now. Put on your beautiful clothes, rise from the dust, O Jerusalem, sit in the place of honor, remove the chains of slavery from your neck, O captive daughter of Israel. Very quickly, in rapid succession, I want to give you seven steps to response. Seven steps to response. Number one, wake up. Wake up. This phrase, wake up, literally means to to awaken, to excite, to be triumphant. And I wonder, where do we fall with this phrase as it relates to our walk with Jesus? Have some of you in the room today fallen asleep in the journey with Christ? You've gotten so comfortable in your walk with Jesus that you've gone to the side of the path and you've just laid down and you're taking a nap in the cool breeze. Well, here Isaiah says, wake up. Psalm chapter 30, verse 5 tells us this, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The morning time is the moment when you wake up. Some of us today need to wake up. Number two, clothe yourselves with strength. What do we clothe ourselves in? Self-righteousness? No. Self-ability, no. Our own strength, no. Our own knowledge, no. We clothe ourselves in the things of God, the power of God, the anointing of God. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, therefore, you want to know what to clothe yourself in? Look at Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Come on. It doesn't say go to your closet and find your favorite fit. Go to your closet and get your new shoes. No, 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 no. Clothe yourselves. 
in every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. Come on, look at this. When the battle comes, stand your ground. When the storms rage, stand your ground. When the enemy rises up against you, stand your ground. But the only way that this is able to be accomplished is when you clothe yourselves in all that God has for you. I want to challenge you. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 6. You're going to learn about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit. It's going to tell you what we're clothing ourselves in. We wake up. We clothe ourselves in strength. Number three, put on beautiful clothes. I'm going to say this in the way my grandma used to. Quit being ugly. Grandma used to say that all the time. If someone was being kind of a jerk, they weren't, weren't acting right, they weren't doing what they're supposed to do, she said, quit being ugly. Church, it's time for the people of God to quit being ugly. I understand that right now our culture is just crazy. I mean, it is going insane out there. So what's the church need to do? Jump on the latest bandwagon? No. We've got to quit being ugly. We've got to live the life that Jesus would have called us to live. We need to go back to the 80s or the 90s and WWJD. Come on, somebody. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. That's okay. You'll catch on. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? He would quit being ugly. We're called to represent Jesus in all the way do. This word beautiful in the original Hebrew literally means as a tribute to God. We're putting on beautiful clothes as a tribute to God. Why are you giving God the ugly? Give God the beautiful. Number four, rise from the dust. And I began to process this. What does it mean to rise from the dust? And I realized it means there's a change in the atmosphere. I'm moving away from that which was stirring around me all the time. I can't help but think of Pigpen on Charlie Brown. Poor kid. He needed to change the atmosphere. Because every step he took, everywhere he went, there was a dust pile going around him. Some of you, you feel like pig pen. You're walking around and there's just a mess of atmosphere all around you. You need to step out of that atmosphere into the very presence of God. James chapter 4 says that we'll draw close to God, that God will draw close to you. I want you to know when you draw close to God and he draws close to you, that dust is going to subside. That atmosphere is going to change because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is victory. Amen. Amen. Number five, very quickly, sit in the place of honor. Now, this is a struggle. Because in order to sit in the place of honor, you've got to be worthy. You don't let just anybody sit in the place of honor. The Israelites demonstrated this. It's impossible to do this by yourself. Sooner or later, we're going to fall short. 
experience is where we go back to what Jesus has done. Romans chapter three, we are made right with God. In other words, we're put in the place of honor. Not because of our righteousness, but because of the, the righteousness of the Father, the righteousness of God. We're put in right standing with him by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone, say everyone, who believes no matter who we are. See, in order to be put in the place of honor, in order to sit in that place of honor, there's got to be a, a change in our lives, a shift in the atmosphere now, a change in our lives. Number six, remove the chain of slavery. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to over the years, and man, they said, hey, I gave my life to Christ on such and such date, and they're moving along, but they keep hooking on that chain, and they're dragging that ball everywhere they go. We've got to remove that chain. Hebrews chapter 12, let, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. That's purpose. That's drive. It's not happenstance. It's like, wow, how did I get here? No, 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 no. You were determined to run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It's not always easy. There's some things that, that creep up on us, some things that we've got comfortable with. But I want you to know it's time. It's time for a breakthrough. It's time to get rid of that junk. And finally, our seventh step is this. What do we do with it? We've clothed ourselves. We've placed ourselves in the righteousness of God. We've changed the atmosphere. We've removed that which is enslaving us. And number seven, we simply go and share. Therefore go, the Bible says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are called to go. It's so easy to get stuck on the faulty routine. The Israelites did. They missed the mark. But it's time for us to implement these seven steps and begin to go. To share that good news perhaps with your family, your friends, your co-workers, even the cashier, your favorite store. But we've been commissioned by God to go and make disciples. We're going to talk a lot about this in the months to come. Because I believe that, that the church, if we're really going to be the church that we're called to be, we can't just do church for an hour and 15 minutes, sitting in the seats and go out the door. There's got to be some action on the other side. We've got to raise up disciples. We've got to share the good news. We have to encourage one another. We have to correct one another. We've got to live life with one another. But it all starts with a breakthrough. Would you pray with me this morning?